but then once you have an idea and it sticks with you, you start seeking out opportunities. Um, as some people say, if you put it in the universe, the universe will start you know, talking back to you. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that's exactly what happened. We figured out some opportunities and we started chasing down, chasing down some opportunities. We actually went to the city of Columbus to maybe have a mobile inst- uh, art installation so that we can move it from community to community. Welcome to the Sage Warrior Gentleman podcast, where we explore the three facets of the modern man and discuss leadership, chivalry, and style so that you can continue to bring your best to the world. Hi, I'm Jeff Hendrickson, and through impactful subjects and in interviews with men I've known and worked with in various industries over the years, you'll learn some valuable lessons about modern men and their struggles and triumphs. Will Austin joined J.P. Morgan Chase in 2020, coming from over 20 years of service in the digital industry. He's always seeking to deliver the most valued experiences possible for customers. Will has a mindset of an entrepreneur, whether running a startup or as a corporate leader. He has partnered and founded several companies over the years, including a tech-based networking group, web technology firm, and a marketing advertising agency. Will has also traversed a rich corporate history for creating better experiences with top companies in retail, finance, banking, and insurance, such as L Brands, Victoria's Secret, IBM, Johnson & Johnson, Nationwide, and Chase. His community involvement in addressing educational gaps and fighting poverty is expressed by donating time, resources, and thought leadership with nonprofits such as United Way and Columbus Metropolitan Library. Will enjoys travel, design, and crafting. He lives in Gahana, Ohio, and is husband to his beautiful wife, Monique, a girl dad to an amazingly sporty daughter, Mackenzie, and his best friend to their dog, Gucci. So please join me in this deep and honest conversation with Will Alston. Will, thank you very much for joining me uh, tonight for this episode of the Sage Warrior Gentleman Podcast. How are you? Good. Glad to be here. Yeah, I'm happy to have you, man. I'm glad we were able to to get together and do this. So I sent you the format. You saw some of the stuff. You know, we're just going to go through. It's going to be a cool conversation. And so we always start off same way. We start off with with occupation, and then we'll dig a little bit deeper into that. So uh, tell us who Will is and what he does and what he's all about. I am a a serial entrepreneur, uh, husband, father, and um, corporate person as well. I am, uh, I guess at this point, you could call me a lifer. I'm a lifetime UXer. Uh, I found the uh, the nice sweet spot of all the digital things that we used to do and all the innovation and all the R&D used to be called. Uh, and um, somebody thought it was a good idea to, to put it all in one nutshell, all in one bag. And uh, it's called user experience. So um, I found, um, found a really good home uh, within this lane of really improving uh, customer experiences by utilizing all the skills that I've ever, you know, uh, come across and developed uh, and being able to kind of deliver it uh, to all of our uh, businesses and clients and things like that. So I, I find great joy in it. Um, some people may think it's kind of boring or kind of different or weird or might think it's, uh, as my daughter says, I'm just building apps or uh, some people just think we're designing. Uh, but I think it's pretty cool when you get to use all of your skills not many jobs allow you to do that. And then, of course, you meet a lot of really cool people along the way. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you live here in Columbus, so we're going to get a little bit deeper into what you do because you do a lot of really cool stuff here in Columbus, and I've taken pictures of some of them. So let's talk about some of that. Let's talk about how you're involved in the arts here in Columbus because that is so super fascinating. Sure, sure. Yeah, no, it, um, it's a labor of love. Uh, me and a couple of friends got together, oh gosh, about uh, seven years ago and decided to start a, a marketing agency, an advertising agency. Uh, we took a, a trip to Chicago for the, uh, there's a, a company called Black Enterprise uh, for that um, uh, for that group. And on the way, we decided a name for the company and we figured out a pitch. We really just wanted to, I think the, the you know, the real root of it all was to help designers uh, really be equitable towards the money that, um, you know, contractors and, and technology and salaries and, tech and technology were getting. We just saw the disparity and had a love for the arts. And so we really wanted to uh, help influence uh, those creators and those crafters, uh, you know, make it fair and equitable for them, but also, you know, make it a, a, a thing where they could support their families uh, and still do the things that they love. Uh, so that was really the first root of what we were doing. And then we decided to infuse something that's um, you know really in instituted in the rest of us uh, and that is um, this this um, need to give back to the community uh, and so we found every project that we did we found a way to infuse that that same type of um, integrity and that same type of um, you know motion in, inside of those projects so it just was a, a labor of love um, that we just continued to pour out we've got friends at CCAD and uh, folks who run the like creative control, you know, good for a couple of good friends of mine, and they happen to be fraternity brothers as well. Mm -hmm. uh, and inside of the fraternity, that's one thing that we're taught is to always give back to the community and, and help those in need, and especially through education. Mm -hmm. um, so, with those being the pillars and the foundations of what we do, it wasn't hard to figure out how to sift through different projects, whether it be working with the governor, the governor, or you know, working with builders, uh, working with uh, different murals or things across town. Uh, and just infuse that same integrity, that same spirit of raising up the community. So some of those murals or a lot of those murals in Short North are because of you and your company, right? Yeah, yeah. The uh, On High Street, you'll see um, a few of those, <laughs> maybe a, no, more than a handful. Uh, mm -hmm. A couple of years ago, we started uh, employing different, um, uh, different artists who uh, uh, put things out. And one of the really wide known um, murals is the one that was of Richard Pryor that was right off of High Street. Uh, a lot of people paid attention to that, but there's a lot of other good art uh, in that area as well. And, um, you know, most of the art downtown Columbus is on rotation uh, in the Short North. With the Short North Commission, they want to keep things fresh. We were one of the first uh, art installations to go more than 18 months, uh, which was kind of quite ridiculous because usually it was on a year rotation. Um, but with good relationships and, of course, with the artists and good impact in the community, um, that same spirit just poured over and, and people love it. So mm -hmm. we're just kind of keeping things on rotation right now and then thinking about doing a lot of other things in the city as well. Cool. All right. So we have two more to talk about. First, let's talk about the one that is further south on High Street at the corner of High. And what is it? the one I went and took a picture of? Talk about that one. Yeah. So you're, you're talking about some of the exercise arts, the installations. Yeah, yeah. So in working with, um, you know, with working with construction companies uh, and um, working with developers wasn't really where we started with the idea. The idea, again, had roots back in the community. Um, actually, it was uh, my business partner, Johan and Terrell, who came up with the idea and said, you know, 
we need to have like exercise stuff. You know, we always see. And so he started his story and uh, like any good story, you know, you have people sitting on the edge of the chair and it was just the three of us, the three business partners in our office, in our executive office, and just kind of kicking around some stories about how we, re- we remember our childhood heroes. You know, some of the people, um, they were unsung heroes, the people who jogged around the neighborhood or the people who you knew the person who was fit. You knew the person who worked out. You knew the person who was in the sports. Uh, and those were some of our unsung heroes. Uh, and we saw them working out in very, uh, uh, you know, non-traditional ways, um, you know, whether it be a park bench or a tree or just running around the neighborhood or whatever that might be. There were some non-traditional ways because let's just face it, there weren't really like uh, strong uh, athletic centers, you know, or anything like that. You know, so you just have to do with what you got. Um, so we started thinking about it and said, you know, maybe we can bring that vibe back. Let's bring the vibe back of the community, the childhood heroes. And uh, we went on this quest just to kind of like start to search and where it would go. And, you know, the conversation kind of died off. But then once you have an idea and it sticks with you, you start seeking out opportunities. Um, as some people say, if you put it in the universe, the universe will start you know, talking back to you. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that's exactly what happened. We figured out some opportunities and we started chasing down, <laughs> chasing down some opportunities. We actually went to the city of Columbus to maybe have a mobile Inst, uh, art installation so we can move it from community to community. Uh, and then uh, what really happened is we got in touch with Kaufman and a couple other construction companies and uh, chased down them and started a conversation. They thought it was a good idea uh, and uh, took hold of it. And lo and behold, we've got some things around the city that, um, that are out there still supporting the community uh, in which we serve. Mm-hmm. So that one that I'm talking about is on the corner of high and what? High end, uh, believe that's let's see, it's up in spring. It's town, believe that's town, town or main corner of high end town. All right, so if you're in Columbus and if you're listening to this, go to the corner of high end town, and it is the north west, no, northeast corner of high end town. You'll see some really cool stuff in a little park there, and uh, Will's responsible for that, Will and his group. All right, so one last one we have to get into, okay. sure, and that's and that's that really cool building. And that really cool thing that you guys put up over on the other side of the river from me. Let's talk about that one for a minute. Mm, so we were talking about Idea Foundry. Yeah. That building. Yeah. Right. So Idea right. Foundry has been around for a while. Uh, and they used to be on Fifth, uh, Fifth Avenue in Cleveland. And um, their you know, background was to uh, create uh, space for uh, craftsmen, you know, for craftspeople, uh, for folks who were doing TIG welding or you know, other laser cutting, uh, woodwork, et cetera. And um, they actually took over a building that was downtown into an area that actually my mother grew up in. Um, it was an area uh, which a lot of people know as the floodplain uh, down in that area right behind Kosai. Um, and because it used to flood uh, a lot uh, back in the uh, 60s and 70s. Uh, so fast forward, the city uh, had some land grants, which is why you have a name of a brewery down there called Land Grant. Um, they had some low cost uh, land uh, and one of those was the building uh, and that building was taken over by Idea Foundry. Idea Foundry has been in there for quite a while. It's been a great partner to the city of Columbus. Um, but as our partnerships have progressed, uh, we talked about fashion uh, for a couple of years and about instituting fashion back into Columbus. Uh, the Gay Street to High Street area, the three or four blocks that are around that area are known for being um, old school. Uh, I was from Columbus, so I knew about the old fashion and garment district here in Columbus, um, but taking over another area um, would be ideal. 
Um, we just thought it would be there. The city suggested maybe Idea Foundry, um, that building would be a great place. Uh, and so not only taking over that building uh, or at least some of the ideas and, and residency, but also lifting up some ideas for the city. Uh, if you go to columbusfashion.org, I believe uh, you'll start to see uh, some of those uh, ideas play out. Again, my business partner, Johanna Terrell, he's on the city, Columbus City Commission and uh, worked in some relationships to um, really institute some cool ideas. We're just getting started, but the mm -hmm. idea is to um, really get fashion going here in Columbus and, and do it for uh, those that might not have the means to buy equipment uh, or ink, yeah. giant ink printers and, and things like that. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, that, that is so cool. So, all right. So we, we take all of this and mm -hmm. we shake it up a little bit and we've got Will and Will is a real Renaissance man. And so because there's so much that you do and because you get so deeply entrenched in this kind of stuff, especially around the community and around the work. And I mean, you do, you know, you do it with us at work too, where, where you're always there for us. And you know, like today, where I just had to vent a little bit and you said, okay, man, jump on a zoom right now. Let's go. And you, you let me get it out of my system and we, and we just kept on going. Right. And then the rest of the day was better. So Let's talk about how all of these things that you do reflect back out into the community, even a little bit more. We, we have kind of started touching on that a little bit, but I want to know what all this means to you and your family, too, and how you think the greater Columbus area, the greater Ohio area, no matter what it happens to be, because everything we do has ripples, right? Yeah. So let's talk about family first. How does, how does what you do as a man come back and help and reflect on your family? Sure. Yeah, I think I can weave one golden thread through all of this. And that is, <laughs> we as humans, uh, I know it's kind of crazy that I can actually weave those together, right? But I think I can do it. I'm up to the challenge. Um, so I think, you know, we as humans, we kind of operate on a couple different factors. Uh, and some people really use um, their internal fears as, as motivation. Some people use their fears and questions of life, um, and it, it paralyzes them. Uh, so if, it, if we can do anything as human beings, I think we can uh, help motivate ourselves and get past our internal fears, um, our anxieties, uh, and all the things that hold us back from unlocking our potential. You know, when, when I talk about, um, you know, whether it be the art stuff that we're doing, or, you know, if I'm talking about way back in the day with just my best friend who he and I weren't scared to be different than everybody else. Everybody else was sagging their pants and trying to come up with a cool style and trying to be like everybody else. And we decided to wear khaki pants and a sweater vest uh, because we thought that was like a different style and it was cool. And we got a good, you know, got a good response from it, especially from the ladies. Mm -hmm. um, but we got a good response from it and we weren't scared to be different. Uh, turns out that uh, my good, my best friend, he's really successful in life right now and lives in North Carolina uh, and he's doing well for himself, you know, uh, but he and I challenge each other each and every day. Uh, we call each other a motivator, each other. And we say, TCB, take care of business. Um, that inherent challenge to overcome your fears or overcome each other's fears, even with each other, um, fears cause wars, they cause conflict, they cause problems, they cause divorces, uh, it causes uh, arguments and all kinds of other problems in our lives that, be honest with you, if we, if we could vacuum that out, uh, our own lives would be so much better. So if there's anything that I bring to the table, 
uh, it's the constant challenge to try to remove all those barriers and to be our uh, full selves, our full realized selves. So I think that's what I can bring to my family is, is uh, every day challenging and, and, um, and coaching and, and uh, even just to be honest with you, just being transparent with them uh, allows them to have relationship with me. Uh, so I challenged myself as well to not hold in those fears into my belly uh, so that I put a shield up, but I'd rather break down that shield so I can be transparent enough to actually have a true, deep, meaningful relationship uh, with my family as well. That's cool. Yeah, that's a great answer, man. So, all right. So first little pivot, um, we all make mistakes in life. We get back up and we keep on going if we can. So if you would share with us a really big mistake that you made and maybe what you learned from that mistake. Yeah, I had no direction. Um, I, uh, my freshman year in college, I, uh, I was able to get some support through academic uh, scholarship and, and uh, grants to go to Kentucky State University, but I had no direction. Like I was a smart kid. I, kn- I knew a lot about engineering. I, I advanced through my classes. I even test out and tested out of some classes and tested up. So I was a really smart kid. I just had no application. I had no idea where I wanted to go in life. And um, I, that lack of focus really put me at risk uh, with a low GPA in my freshman year. And so I took that um, and me and my dad actually talked about it. And he says, look, you got two options, military or you need a job. And um, <laughs> I chose job. Um, yeah. but it, what it, what it took was for me to recoup and, um, and find another path. And so I did, I moved to Florida with my best friend. I ended up getting involved into acting into you know, doing all kinds of crazy stuff where hosting a TV show and, um, you know, starting a business at 19 years old and just all kinds of different stuff. Uh, and I started unlocking that fear that I talked about, you know, and it was, it seemed like life was limitless. You know, like there were no bounds whatsoever. We could do almost anything we wanted to um, with and still maintain our integrity, integrity and respect towards others. Uh, You know, and I think that was the biggest, um, you know, mistake of my life at the time was this lack of direction and low GPA and low application. Mm -hmm. Uh, But then on on the back end of that, finding something that I really loved uh, and then actually going back to school. Once I went back to school and made up my mind to do it and I had a reason and a purpose for doing it. Uh, nobody could stop me. I actually went to school on the weekends. Uh, just a couple years later, I went to school on the weekends, went during the day. I got a job, worked a f- almost a, uh, was a full-time job, a career job. Uh, and I mean, I, I was going to school around the clock just because it was, uh, it, it was saturated. It was burned in me that this is what I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. So finding that purpose, I think was the way out of that, that trouble. Finding the purpose. Yeah, that's it. And sometimes that's tough. And you know, a lot of people do flounder with that. I, there's still times where I don't know what I want to do when I grow up, you know? <laughs> um, but, you know, I, I love the art. I love the writing. I love a lot of the things that I do as well. So I keep on going with that too. All right. So you turned, you turned what was, what was a little bit of a mistake at the very beginning. I, 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 I struggle with calling that a mistake though. It really just was lack of direction. And I mean, you were, you were young and at that, and at that age, most of us don't know what we're going to do. So, so for me and for listening with you to, you know, to this story, it's how fast you found something to really grab a hold of. So there was a motivation. You finally found a motivation right there. Right. So, so, and the switch now is going from the mistake to the win. And it sounds like you got a lot of really cool wins out of that because you've got this phenomenal motivation, this phenomenal drive and direction. So if you could pick, if you could pick 
a really cool win out of all that to share with us. What would, what would a really cool win be out of all this? Not being afraid to make mistakes. Like mm -hmm. that was the big win. You know, the, <laughs> the motivation yeah. didn't just come by osmosis, you know, it yeah. was trying, it was trial and error. It was trying a lot of different things. I met a lot of cool people, salt and pepper, Tretch from Na Naughty by Nature, Omar Epps, all kinds of different people, stars and things like that. But then when I saw lifestyles, I didn't necessarily want their lifestyle. It was very difficult. And there were some people I actually had a, um, a, an associate that I worked with uh, in that industry who OD'd on drugs. Mm -hmm. And um, I just didn't want to go that far. So there was, you know, you have your own personal boundaries and uh, finding where your guardrails are by, through trial and error is, is critical. You know, and the bigger that you try, sometimes the, the bigger that the failure is, um, but you still can't be afraid to go out and try it. Uh, and I think that's the same thing through, through, through career. I, I, you know, really started a cool career in technology and then tried something else. And then I tried something else and then I tried something else again. And I kind of covered up maybe wasn't as good as I thought I was. So I had to pivot and do something else. But, you know, you find your way through. Uh, mm -hmm. because mistakes are inevitable. If you, if, if anybody's ever cooked or baked, um, you know, you follow a recipe, but mistakes are inevitable. You are going to make a mistake. You are going to burn a cake. You're going to not prepare the food the exact right way. Maybe the meat is not as tender or you're going to miss an ingredient, you know, and it's okay. Mm -hmm. It's okay. Um, nobody's going to die off of it. Um, for the most part, uh, on our mistakes, uh, as long as they are within our guardrails and bounds, to the core principles of integrity uh, and uh, and honor, you know, around the people around us, you know, then it's okay. And um, I, every day I wake up, I still make mistakes, but um, you know, we just, we get through it because they make us better. Yeah, exactly. There's a, there's a quote. I, I, I can't quote it exactly, but it's something like perfectionism is the thief of progress or, 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 or something like that. You know, you've, you've probably heard it before. And, you know, working with you the way I do and, and hearing how you had to learn really fast to not be afraid to make mistakes. I also kind of see in you and, and in the way you do this and in, and in the stories you've told me before and other conversations, I see a little bit of I see a little bit of a perfectionist in there because you do want to get things right and you do want to make things accessible to people and given to people in a way that, that, that creates joy. To me, there's a little bit of perfection in that too. So mm -hmm. would you say that, that, that there's like a fine line or there's some sort of a balance you always have to cut between, between trying to make sure that something is perfect, but also understanding that mistakes have to be made to get to that point? Yeah. You know, I, I think you hit the nail on the head is there's one thing about making mistakes is that you get really good at making mistakes, mm -hmm. um, but you also get good at paying attention to the details. Um, if, if a situation is thrown at you 16 times, then at some point you're going to start paying attention to what made that situation happen and you become a master of, of those details. Um, but doing so, sometimes uh, you have to really gauge the, the risk and reward. And I think that's when you become good at failing or you become good at making mistakes. When you could get into it far enough that you make the progress, but not so far that you take on all the ownership of the full failure. Uh, and the collateral damage is less because you haven't pressed it as far. You haven't pushed the, the pedal down 100%. Maybe you gauged it at 75. Maybe you're not driving at 200 miles an hour. Maybe you're just driving at 90 miles an hour. Mm -hmm. You know, and there's a, there's a difference. Um, some people say a car crash is a car crash. Well, yes and no. You know, you can impact a lot of people around you. It's not just about you as the driver. 
there's a lot of other things that can happen uh, that if you're not paying attention to your surroundings and don't have awareness for that, then you can cause this other collateral damage that I don't think people pay attention to when they make mistakes. Mm -hmm. So, you know, just to kind of keep it in that same framework is there's a gauge of risk and reward that you start to learn within that. Uh, mm-hmm. But you can't have the wins without the without the mistakes or the misses, and you can't have the misses without the wins. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and you know, M- Michael Jordan's famous for talking about that too. You know mm-hmm. about 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 how we see this this great, fantastic basketball player, but he says what you don't see is that I lost forty two games in the last second, and that I missed uh, four hundred and thirty six free throws. You know, whatever the statistics right. happen to be. You know, we yeah. look at guys like that, and 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 we put them up, up on a pedestal, and mm-hmm. some of them are cool. <laughs> with that but others will also tell you hey you wouldn't believe what it took for me to get here right tom brady and michael jordan just speaking about sports both have that in common tom brady absolutely sucked at michigan his his first year out Mm. Uh, brian greasy actually was the guy who was he was the guy who was supposed to be the the ultimate quarterback so tom brady really wasn't on the radar he was different than everyone else so kobe bryant they didn't party with the rest of the students. They stuck to their classes. Mm-hmm. But one thing, Michael Jordan, Tom Brady, Kobe Bryant, all these stars, uh, Wayne, Wayne Gretzky, all these guys, what they had in common was they became a student of the game. They became a student of their craft. So and rather than just being uh, okay with their physical attributes and okay with their play, they became uh, masters of the minutia. You know, and that's the difference that took, you know, really Michael Jordan was not that great his college career until the latter part of his career. And he wasn't that great as his first part of his rookie year until he really turned the corner and started getting his team involved and becoming a leader. He was a great player. He wasn't a great leader. Mm-hmm. And when he became a great leader and started focusing on how to drive others to be better, that's when it came to life. And the same thing just happened with Tom Brady. I, I'll, I'll be honest, I'm a Giants fan. I was not a Patriots fan and I wasn't a Tom Brady fan. Uh, but watching him win the other day, I have a lot more respect for him now. Seeing him operate at yet another team and lifting a crew of players who hadn't won in 12 years uh, to the playoffs and lifting them and but getting them to believe in themselves and taking to and transcending to a place that they hadn't been before. That I don't care who you are, or who you like as a player. That's awesome to watch. It is. That's that's really phenomenal. And yes, <laughs> that does say so much about him as a leader. Right. Not not only that he's a good player, but but he's a great leader. Yeah. All right. So we're going to move on now to the traits that now I, I have these written down and I'm, I'm going to read these these traits out to you, these words out to you. And these oh, are what I believe a modern man embodies. And if okay. you have other ones, you say them. And if you agree with some of these, let's let's talk about them a little bit. So the traits that I believe a, a modern man embodies right now is leadership, honor, integrity confidence and compassion. Mm-hmm. I agree with those. Can I add some more? Yeah, go. Yeah. In our modern day, because people are different to the core people aren't different, but how we deal with our issues are different. And I think it requires flexibility into mm-hmm. our own psyche. It requires awareness. So someone who's very self-aware uh, and it also uh, empathetic, which could be compassionate. Yeah. Um, but it also is, is um, I believe, just me as a, my style of leadership, um, one who is uh, intrinsically involved. It's hard to be a leader without being involved. There are many leaders who do it, and it's very transactional. 
But when you become involved in someone's life, you now become a part and you now have stake in that operation. And that goes from being a leader to being more of a mentor. Yeah. Now, when I talk about flexibility, I think about my wife. I think about uh, all the people I know. uh, And everybody has a different mind model now because we're uh, allowed so much information to come in because of YouTube and all these other things. So people are way more knowledgeable about different skills and different crafts and, and all kinds of different operations in their lives. And so you don't know what people are coming to you with. And so you have to be really flexible in understanding their background or ideals and where those things are coming from. Mm-hmm. So it's a part about involvement and being involved. I, I agree with that hundred percent. I would also ask you if you feel that in, in being involved with, with somebody's life and, and getting there, I, I mean, I, I feel that there's also a possibility to, to mismanage that and taking the involvement in ways that aren't necessarily beneficial to that person or to the relationship. What would you, what would you say about that? Mm. So I think that's a great point. Now, involvement is a two-way street. Mm-hmm. If you involve without permission, that's a problem. Mm-hmm. So there's a, uh, a strong relationship because that's how relationship happens, right? It's a, it's a dance. Uh, if you can be involved with permission and do it with the integrity of actually helping that person and not helping yourself, that is the ultimate leader, right? Mm-hmm. Is to get yourself out the way and constantly think and understand what makes that person tick and what success is to them, mm-hmm. which is how we are to our clients. I think anytime we put a design sure. idea or any, any, anything that we love in front of our client and we love it more than they love it, it intrinsically or it always creates a conflict, right? Mm-hmm. Because now we haven't asked them. Now we're on the other side of the table where we're pushing for a concept or an idea yeah. versus asking them what would be successful in their terms to their audience with their base. Yeah. Yep. Cool. So what does chivalry mean to you? Mm, you know, to me, and I don't know what it means to everybody else. To me, it's, it's kind of old school, man. It's, uh, to me, it's the, the holding the umbrella, opening the door, uh, you know, uh, being polite um, and uh, all around just being concerned with the welfare of others. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's an old school concept. And I've, I've written articles about how I believe that chivalry is not dead, but it's, it's strange with, with the younger generations, how, you know, some people are actually offended if someone holds the door open for them. And man, I just don't get that. But, you know, each, each generation is a little bit different, right? I'm different than my parents. My parents were different than their parents. My sons are different than me in the way we think, the way we act, the way we live our, you know, the way we live our lives. I mean, you know, passing down, how how my father embodies integrity so much and how and how I practice that. I believe that my sons do too. So yeah, there, there there is just a difference between the generations. But to me, yeah, chivalry is 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 like you say, and I believe there's still room for it. I will never stop. I'll never stop holding the chair out for a woman or holding the door open for anybody. I'll never stop doing that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
and it's not just gender specific, right? It it can be across to your friends or, you know, if you hold a door for the person in line behind you and, you know, that's chivalry to me too. So I I think we had these old archetypes where it was the, the, the gentleman with the cape and the hat and the the cane, Mm -hmm. you know, and he had to be the one that was trying to impress the lady. Yeah. Okay. That archetype is dead. But um, the idea that we hold the door for each other and that we take care of each other is not dead, you know, and I I think it goes to our love languages uh, mm-hmm. It speaks to how uh, how intelligent we've become about ourselves um, and how we foster those relationships. Some people yeah. just want time. You yeah. know, it's right. necessarily through actions. It might just be through time. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So, all right. Another another direction we'll we'll veer in here. What does right. what does style mean to you as a gentleman? <laughs> style man now you're hitting on with me uh this is when my, my voice changes i get the billy d voice going on uh, it's you know <laughs> you know well to me it's it's an exterior thing right um i think it's a way to show people that you care about yourself um but it also there's something joyful about putting a presentation together um and it makes you feel good when you can look down and look in the mirror and you feel good about yourself, then it exudes out of your pores. Mm-hmm. Um, and if, if that to you means the coolest, you know, sweat outfit, uh, then that's exactly what it is. If it happens to be the latest and greatest suit uh, with a, with a, you know, handkerchief out the pocket and a bow tie, then that's it as well. It, it's, it starts on the, on the inside. Somebody asked me a long time ago, said, man, what's the, uh, and hopefully this is okay to say, but uh, somebody said, well, what's a, what's the sexiest outfit for, for a woman, you know? And I said, confidence. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It just is. There's no material that's ever been made that uh, is more sexy than confidence. Than confidence. Yeah. And that yeah, answer if, has come up a bunch of times when I asked that yeah. question. Confidence. Uh, yeah. And, you know, you throw yeah. that confidence together with the way you put yourself together with, with the clothes. And, and mm-hmm. you know, I, I, I came out of the fashion industry and so I do blogs and I do videos on this, on this stuff as well about how to dress and how to do this and, and how to put a wardrobe together. But, but none of that works if you don't, if you don't have that confidence in doing it, like, mm-hmm. you know, like I could, I could come over to your place and I could give you some outfits to wear and you would look at me and I could see immediately from the way you stand and the way you look at me, if this is making you feel confident or not. Mm-hmm. And here's a really cool little story about that. I don't think I've told this story yet on the, on the podcast. Um, a buddy of mine and I from FIT got into the Mercedes Benz fashion shows in New York city fall 2003 with a line called blue khaki. We interviewed our own models. And at that point in time, nobody did that. Yeah. When they came up to the showroom, models are used to being given outfits to wear. And we had music blaring and we said, do you see anything over there you like? Um, well, yeah. Okay. So go create five outfits for yourself. And they went nuts, but game day show day, one guy came up to me and we really wanted him to wear a hat. And he walked up to me and his shoulders were slumped and he looked at me and he's Jeff, man, I don't feel good wearing this hat. I ripped it off his head. I threw it across backstage and I said, what hat? He hugged me and ran out onto the runway to go do That's his right. thing. Right. So yeah, yeah. 
This is what we mean by confidence. It's a huge, it's a huge difference. I remember I was running track in high school and, you know, I had a meet and there was all these guys who were bigger than me. The, the legs were bigger than me. The muscles were bigger than me. And I was pretty quick. You know, I, I had, I could hold my own. And, uh, but I told my mom, I said, I got to have these, these uh, air zooms, is what they were called, spikes. And, you know, the shoes weren't anything in particular, but they just fit my outfit. They fit my shoe. I felt good in them. And uh, the, I, I was doing pretty good in the season, but I tell you, the day I wore those air zooms and I laced them up and I went out on that track <laughs> and I, I got down in the block and you couldn't tell me that I was going to lose at all. Mm-hmm. I wasn't going to lose not one race. I had the confidence higher than anybody on the field, you know, and it's just sometimes it, it seems weird. Sometimes it's not being materialistic, but sometimes something just j- jives with your spirit. You know, and there's a certain yeah. balance in the thing that you put on uh, and it's your magic cape, man. And if your magic cape works, put it on. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. All right. So cool. So so this gives us a really good segue into health. Let's talk about health. What do you yeah. what do you feel about health in your life? So I, I talk about this a lot, actually. And uh, you didn't really know this, but um, I talk about health a lot. Um, I talk about fraternity and things like that. But, you know, just being a black man in general. Um, we, we struggle with health. We struggle with seeing doctors. Um, I struggle as a man. I struggle, uh, sometimes with getting the right health, um, at the right time. But as I crossed the, uh, the 40 line, <laughs> I mm-hmm. uh, started paying more attention. And, uh, when my body ticks or talks, then I, I, I make the call. And as I think it's something that you have to just be obedient to, uh, and maybe finally give up on your ego and uh, really start checking. Uh, I was checked for uh, prostate cancer and and thank God I didn't have anything, but I, there were signs that maybe I did and it scared me. Mm-hmm. Um, there were, you know, there were signs that something was wrong with my cholesterol and um, thank God I'm doing okay, but I'm still trying to keep myself in check and not eat crazy. Um, I try to exercise as much as I can, but of course, like anybody else, I can do better. Mm-hmm. But the other part that we don't talk about, we talk about the physical health when it comes to men. Um, but the other part that we don't talk about is mental health and uh, mental health is so so important. I've been through enough in my life where I needed it and I needed someone to talk to, you know, and at some point I needed to, I needed someone that can address, you know, any anxiety issues that I had and somebody that could really talk to me about life, you know, and I could talk to them. And uh, I thought I was by myself. I thought I was on an Island. And then I have a, I have a group of buddies that's around me about 12, 12 buddies that's around me. And um, I got on a group text and uh, the topic came up and somebody was looking for a referral all of a sudden, almost about eight guys had referrals to their counselors and their psychologists and their people and their doctor and their, everybody had somebody, mm-hmm. you know, and it just goes to show you that even in a tight knit group of people, we don't always talk about health. Yeah. Um, I find that women do more often, but even they don't really share everything, mm-hmm. you know, so here I am with these tight knit group of people. And I didn't even know that everybody had somebody and I'm sure we all felt the same. So at that moment, we just said, you know what, we're going to make a pact. We're going to talk about our health. We're going to be unafraid, unapologetic. uh, And we're going to let our egos not uh, drive this conversation that we can't share how we feel, what's going on and what kind of issues that we might have uh, and not knock each other for venting, you know, so and making that promise with each other, uh, holds us accountable. And I, I, so I think that's something you can't do by yourself. You have to have somebody in your life uh, that's close to you, preferably some friends, but uh, who don't judge you 
but also your family uh, and those who are closest to you as well. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's having that safe space and, and, and knowing you can do that, which is, which is what we do when, when we interview people in our, in our lives as, as the UX professionals that we are, we make sure that it's a psychologically safe space and that there's no judgment. And that's, that's huge. I, I touch on that in my book. It's, you know, the, the novel that I wrote, but I talk a lot about stuff like that because it's a, it's about a group of men in New York city who are doing some stuff and dealing with challenges, dealing with challenges with women, dealing with challenges, just like you said. So while you were talking about that, I was getting chills, man. I had chills running up and down my spine, hearing you talk about how real that is. But, you know, again, like you said, as, as men, we tend to hide stuff like that. And we don't want to bring that up because we have to be seen as strong, right? We have to be these macho guys. We have to be strong. Everybody has to be able to rely on us. So it's, it's, it's tough to be vulnerable like that until you know that you can be real and you can be vulnerable with somebody who will not judge you. Now, it's not like they're going to blow smoke up your skirt. Everybody's got to be real, right? You got to be honest and you got to be real. And, 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 and if the way you're thinking is just really, really messed up, then you need those people in your life who are going to be honest enough with you to say, look, that's messed up, man. Try to think about Mm -hmm. it this way instead, right? Stop going there. Stop making that kind of mistake and try this on for size the next time that happens to you, right? Or people around you that know you well enough to say, Hey, today you're off. You okay? Yeah. What do you mean? And not be defensive about it. So we have to lower our walls as well. You know, which if I may, um, I I really just want to add, I think that, uh, you know, this um, quarantine life and the Zoom, you know, essence that we have right now really adds in another factor. And that is we have to be more vocal about how we feel. We have to emote in a different way. No longer can we rely on the nonverbals to give us so much of the story, you know, and it's good, actually, because I think you know, oftentimes I think we were wrong. None of us are experts at reading body language. And oftentimes I think we were wrong by trying to judge someone's body language and give us the full story, Mm -hmm. you know? So we have to be extra careful and extra diligent in communicating how we feel and what's on our minds. And that's at home. That's with with our coworkers uh, or anybody we communicate to. uh, It's really, really helpful to say, hey, no, I'm not upset. I'm just tired, you know, or you know, this makes me uncomfortable. You know, is there something we can do about this? And just saying that little bit, rather than having an attitude or a chip on your shoulder, makes all the world a difference of how that gets resolved. Yeah, it does. Yeah. All right. So we're just about ready to wrap it up. We're down to our last couple of questions. And this has been an awesome conversation. Well, <laughs> this is, this has really been amazing, dude. So Likewise. yeah, we got it. We got a couple more questions and then we'll, then we'll wrap this one up. So here's the first of the last two. If you were to mentor a younger person in what area do you believe you'd have the strongest influence? Yeah, I think that's a good question. Automatically. I think most people would go to technology or design, you know, any of those things, but, um, you know, I think it's some of the things I talked about, about how to survive life and how to survive yourself, how to survive your family. Many of us come from broken families. We come from broken parents. They, they came from a generation of abuse, you know, or trickle down, you know, issues, uh, economic issues, um, different presidencies and, and um, different governors and things like that that created bills over the years <clears throat> that, that created institutional problems, uh, all kinds of different things that we have been survivors of. 
and we are still trying, the next generation is still trying to survive through whatever that might be. And so they're looking to us to guide them through. They're quick with information. They're able to grab more information and have access to more information than we've ever had before. But then what do they do with it? How do they apply it? And how do they really forge ahead and make other people's lives the best that they can? And I think that has to come with wisdom that we can pass along to say, hey, I've bumped my head a few times. Here's some mistakes I've made that you don't have to make. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's awesome. All right. So here we go. Final question. This is, this is the final question everybody gets. Is there anything else you'd like to say? I'd like to say thank you. I appreciate this. It's kind of reinstituted my, um, my involvement uh, for speaking about the things that we talked about. I used to a lot, and I've kind of quieted it down over the last few years. And so I appreciate kind of stoking the fire, maybe, uh, you know, putting a few little, a, a couple of extra coals and ashes up under the, uh, up under the logs, mm -hmm. um, because I'll, I'll pay it forward. And somehow it might not be in this format, but somehow this, this message will, will carry forward. And so I appreciate you creating the format and the platform to do that. Well, thank you, man. I really, I really appreciate you spending some time with me tonight. This has been great. So Will, thank you very much, man. Have a great night. I'll see you at work tomorrow. Okay. <laughs> All right, Jeff. See you, man. <laughs> All right, man. Thanks, buddy. Bye-bye. <laughs> so thanks for joining us for this episode of the Sage Warrior Gentleman podcast. And remember that you can join us and get a free guide over at sagewarriorgentleman.com. We'd love to have you join our conversation and please help us spread the word if you feel this could help someone you know and care about.